0: eschatology is uh, the doctrine that talks about what is going to happen in the end times and we know that eschatology is the judgment of the world And so all the pro- prophecies written on eschatology, written in the Bible, all pointed towards the end time, that day of judgment. And we, as the children of God, must also put our focus on that day. Do not think that you have to do something and that your life concludes uh, while you're living on this earth. That is a huge mistake. For example, in the case of pastors, as you lead your pastoral ministry, you must always uh, pastor your your, 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 uh, church members and lead them to point their lives, lives toward that day of judgment. Let's say for example, uh, a member of your church is really good at earning money. He earns a lot of money, but his prayer life is in shambles. Then that church member will not be able to face the Lord in that day. Then how should you, what should you do as the head pastor? Then you need to pray that his business go, uh, uh, goes, uh, his, uh, his business goes badly so that he can return to the Lord. Let's say somebody's very healthy. And if that healthiness is bringing, is turning that person away from the Lord, they need to pray that that person gets hurt or gets ill so that they can focus on the Lord once again. And why is that? It's because... The important thing, the important aspect of our life, is, too, is how much we're being, how much we're focused on meeting the Lord in that last day, rather than what we're doing right now, currently on this world. Your goal, your ultimate goal, should not be to achieve something for yourself on this land. And, of course, God always waits for us to return to him. But now time is urgent, and he's not going to wait for us in, uh, when, when he comes back. So as a, a good shepherd, if there's a lamb that is having difficulty uh, following the shepherd, then that shepherd will specially uh, care for that lamb, feeding him good things, comforting him, embracing him until that lamb is able to recover and become healthy. But as soon as the shepherd realizes that this lamb has no hope, then it is best for that shepherd to just uh, to, to butcher that lamb and, and take care of the rest of the flock. Because if he keeps, uh, if his focus is, is always constantly turned to this lamb that is hurt, then he's unable to care for the, uh, the rest of the flock. And that's why he needs to Um, make his decision make a decision to wait for this lamb or to give up on it and take care of the rest of the flock so that's why it is very important for the pastors not to minister their churches through humanism you need to let the Holy Spirit work and you need to minister the spirits of the people and not their emotions So all the prophets have been speaking about the end times. The reason why it is important for us to live on this earth right now uh, is because uh, of the result that we're gonna face on that day. So let's say you, you were successful on your time on this earth, then that itself is not going to be a huge benefit to you. Let's say some, you, you faced a huge failure, then that itself is also not going to be that, that big of a deal. Because the important thing is what you're, who you are going to be in that last day. Do not think about the achievements that you have achieved on this earth, uh, do not think that it's going to be, that it's going to have an effect on, uh, on, on what kind of glory you're going to receive on that day the important thing is you have to face towards that target face towards his second coming so that's the kind of faith that you need to have as you live on this earth and if you live with that kind of faith then you're going to experience true freedom on that day so there's no reason for you to be tied to this earth there's no reason for you to be influenced by this earth because we're going to receive victory in the end because we're going to receive glory in the end, because we're going to receive the Lord in the end. There's no reason, uh, so what, whatever happens on this earth is not important to us. So in the eschatological perspective, it is important for us to stay firm in our faith. So now once again Joel is prophesying about the the lifestyle that we need to live as we prepare for that day. And specifically he is prophesying about the appearance of Israel as they await for the last day. And he talks about what's going to happen to the churches, what's going to happen to Israel and what's going to happen to the rest of the world. We know that we are going to be victorious and the world will perish. This is the promise of God that will never change. If you're sure of this, then you shouldn't put your life, uh, you shouldn't give your life for anything on this earth. In the book, chapter 2, It says that the world is a a business that's going to perish in one day. So why would you invest in a business that's going to fail? Their failure is decided, so why would you put your hard-earned money to, to invest in that company? That is the world. So the more you invest your energy and money into the world, the more you're gonna experience failures. Because your life is not dependent, the, the success of your life is not dependent on your relationship. But it is dependent on how much you're willing to let the Lord come and rule over you. So that's why God has given the church his authority. He has given this authority over uh, spirit, authority over people, authority, authority over materials, authority over nature. But because you don't have this authority, even if you earn the money, that money will not be a benefit to you. And because you don't have this authority, when you, when you uh, have fellowship with others, you end up being attacked by the spirit of immorality. We shouldn't live by the, by the relationship that the world uh, pr- uh, preaches to us, and we shouldn't live with with uh, a relationship of give and take, either. But we need to live upon the faith that God gives to us. So let's look into chapter three, the main text of today. So Zechariah is a chain of, uh, is, is made up of a chain of uh, prophecies. Six to be specific. And uh, the prophecies parallel each other. The first and the last prophecy parallels one another. The second and the last second parallels one another. And the rest is also similar. And all of these prophecies come come together to form a narrative, a single narrative. And today, let's look at the prophecy of chapter 3. Everything is an an eschatological uh, prophecy written by Joel. So we must receive it together. And of course, uh, the characteristic of these prophecies uh, is that they overlap one another a little bit. And so as we look into this eschatology, what is going to be important for us is that we live with knowing the result of the conclusion. And the conclusion is decided by God already. And so there's no reason for us to despair and fall into depression because we don't know the results. And there's no reason for, uh, for us to worry about the conclusion. So, so what is important to us then? What is important to us is because we know the conclusions, uh, the progress itself is important to us. What is progress then? Our progress is, is taking each step, facing the right direction that God has given to us. So that's why it is important for us to always look towards the target. If you face the right direction, then your progress will will be successful. Do not worry about the conclusion. And don't worry about whether or not God is going to give it to you. Empty your minds. Don't worry about the construction of our new church. Do not doubt the Lord. When I married my wife, whether or not I could get married with her was never a concern to me. And there were many variables that came between uh, our marriage. But never once did I doubt the fact that I was going to get married to her. Because she was mine already. She was my wife. That, that was the proclamation of faith that I made uh, uh, when I first met her. Verse 1 through 5 is a new... Uh, new new, new the order given to Joshua then he sh- so and then these verses talk about Joshua the high priest the angel and Satan and chapter 2 talked about the assembly of God And in, first, in First Kings uh, in chapter two, I think it also talks about this uh, the heavenly assembly. And before the Heavenly Assembly, the, the archangels were, were, were called upon, and the angels of God were called upon. And the prophets that were acknowledged by God were also invited. And Satan was present there as well. And the the fate of the world is decided in that assembly. And so the image written in 1-5 through is the heavenly assembly that we are talking about right now. And important decisions are being made in this assembly. In Jeremiah 2.18, it says... To be invited into the heavenly assembly and to understand the the conversation is important and so when if you are called to be a prophet then you need to become a prophet that is acknowledged by God and that is invited into this heavenly assembly so that you can listen to the prophecy that God is giving uh, in that meeting and especially in Amos in Hosea in Amos three, uh, God says that He will not work until He, He will not work without telling these things to His prophets.
1: And of course, the prophet
0: becomes the uh, uh, the speaker for the he- for heaven. And so, this, this speaker has to speak in order for the people on the on the ground to move. And in order for, for these prophets to become the speaker of heaven, they need to be able to enter the secret place, uh, the secret and quiet place in order to listen to the Lord's voice. When you get married, you are supposed to have no secrets between your partner. Likewise, you as the prophet, need, you, need to, uh, you need to be able to hear the secrets of God. Right now in the New Testament, is the heavenly assembly still present, the assembly of, uh, of God? Right now, there's no need for this assembly because Jesus himself has taken upon uh, uh, the sovereignty of the whole universe and he's si- seated next to the Lord. And before God divided uh, the task of of giving prophecies to the prophets of earth. But now Jesus is the king of the world. And now his secrets and his prophecies are are all given to his son. And his son has already completed everything. And that's why He's, he's he's the one that makes all the decisions so who is invited into this assembly now then are those who are able to receive uh, are able to become righteous through the blood of Jesus Hebrews 4:12 says about this, talks about this. So when we are able to receive uh, the righteousness that comes from the blood of Jesus, then that means that you're able to uh, go before the presence of the throne of God. Your prayers are lifted up before that throne. And when you come before the throne, Jesus becomes our advocate and he speaks for us when we pray to the Lord this is also written in hebrews so fundamentally the doors to the throne of god is open to us in the perspective of the old testament this is an extraordinary uh, privilege given to us because because of the sacrifice of jesus his blood has given us righteousness and that's why we have the privilege we have the right to go before the throne of god and we can speak to Him directly. But why, why can't you go? It's because you don't believe in the blood of Jesus. And it's because your spirit is bound. Because your spirit is heavy, it's bound. It is, it is unable to uh, go to the throne of grace. those who believe in the blood of Jesus those who have been uh, clothed in this righteousness they can freely go into that place and out so God's promise has already been given to us and there are many perspectives but when we talk about the relationship uh, that we have with God um, when we have this right relationship with the Word. And when Jesus becomes our advocate, then there's no reason for you to not be able to pray to God and that God will not respond to your prayers. But when you don't pray by faith, then whatever you pray and whatever the Lord uh, gives to you through that prayer will be taken away by the enemy in The characteristic of a prayer that is given through, the right, through righteousness and faith is unhindered by the enemy. But if your prayers are not responded by God, then you need to pray and, and, and ask Him why, this, why, why that is. And you need to receive persuasion or, or comfort from God. that is what David did when David prays to God he didn't pray with with his own thoughts he didn't pray to God and then ask the help of others he didn't try to uh, resolve the issue by himself he didn't even try to do that if God does not respond to the prayers of David then David would die and why is that? it's because he had this relationship uh, he had this relationship of righteousness with God And if God did not respond to the prayers of David, then David would pray to God and ask him why he didn't respond. And because he believed that God is a living God and he lives in him. So what is important is not what he gives to us, but that he's present within you, that he's living within you. So, all the prayers that I have lifted up for the past 30 years has, is, has already been recorded in heaven. And I also remember the prayers that I lifted up. So, if, if something is not responding yet, then I will continue to pray until God gives me a sign to continue to pray or He responds to my prayers. And the reason why I continue to pray is because there's a, there hasn't been a sign uh, that God has given to me. And I wait. I wait because he, he continues to uh, encourage me to pray for that topic. So that's the kind of relationship that we, mo- we all must have with God, especially in our prayer life. And the reason why your prayers are, are weak is because you don't have experience in this kind of, uh, in this kind of relationship. And you don't realize how, how extraordinary of a being God has created us. Be. Think about it. The Holy of Holies, which is only accessible to uh, the specific few in the Old Testament, is, given, is opened up, uh, open to us like an automatic door for us in the New Testament, who have all received uh, the righteousness of God. And we ourselves have become a sanctuary for God. Think about how extraordinary this is. That all the the essential uh, elements of the heavenly assembly, of the headquarters in heaven are all given to us as well. And that the Holy Spirit himself is within us. And through that, we are able to control and and order the, the, the angels around because the authority of God is within us. It's because you don't believe in this, because you don't have faith that you have lost all your nobility. So when you pray to God and uh, God does not respond to your prayers, then you need to pray deeply about that and realize how, uh, how dangerous that situation is. And you need to pray with, pray with this kind of uh, convictions. And Lord, either you respond to your prayers or don't tell me to, to call you as Abba Father. And this is possible not because of my work or because of any, anybody else's work, but because of the work of Jesus himself. In many ways, we have set the Lord up as a religious leader. After we give sacrifice to Baal, we are thankful that it, that it rains. But even if it doesn't rain, we can't, we can't do anything about it. We just think maybe it's, not, it's because we didn't put in much dedication to that offering. And then we continue to beg these idols. And if that that, that, that idol still doesn't respond, then we would offer more things. But is God uh, God an idol? Do we beg the Lord? No. We pray to God. We pray, and prayer is not begging. Prayer is only lifted by uh, the children of God. And so we can pray boldly and with confidence. And many people who are oppressed by, di- by, by diverse spirits, their prayer is very similar to, to, to the people who, who uh, pray in temples, always begging for something. And uh, when you're oppressed in this way, you're unable to find the nobility that God has given to you. You lose your identity as the Lord's, Lord's child. But those who, have met, those who have encountered the Lord correctly... There should be no hindrance in your prayers being lifted up to heaven. And you're able to have the fear of God uh, before Him every time you go before the throne of grace because He is an absolute God. And there shouldn't be any hindrance in our our ministry because God has already opened up the doors to to, to our spirituality. And in the New Testament, it's written that God has already opened up the Holy of Holies to us and Jesus himself has become an advocate for us, for us to enter into that place. But the reason why you cannot enter is because you don't believe in his righteousness. And when you are unable to believe in his righteousness, what is, the, what is your appearance? Then that means you are unable to believe that you, the, the record of your sin has already been erased in heaven. And that's why you're afraid. But Jesus himself has died for us, and his blood has already cleansed and, re- and erased all the records of our sins. In Hebrews uh, 17, it says, I will no longer record your sins. Because your whole sin file has been erased from that, that database. And that's where we can be bold. We can boldly go before the Lord. And that's why we can speak uh, to the Lord directly through our prayers. I will not remember your sins. That is what the Lord says. So let's move on. So Satan and the angels are all present here. So you have to remember one thing, and that is how extraordinary of a being you are before the Lord. The Holy of Holies, which is only, uh, or that secret chamber, which is only accessible to the specific few uh, chosen prophets in the Old Testament. It is It is open to us all who live in the New Testament who are willing who, who are willing to accept the righteousness that comes from the blood of Jesus Jesus himself has become an advocate for us he has given his life for, to, to pay the price for our sins so is there any reason for us to not live by faith? verse 2 the Lord was very angry with your ancestors ancestors Therefore, tell the people, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Return to me, declares the Lord Almighty, and I will return to you. So God has chosen Joshua once again. He says God has chosen Israel. And God God choosing Joshua means that God has chosen Israel. Because Joshua is the representative of Israel. And Joshua is the high priest of Israel. And, uh, and, uh,
1: uh,
0: and Joshua comes from the line of Zachariah. And now Satan is coming to rebuke Joshua in the original text it, he comes to uh, accuse of Joshua accuse Joshua of his crimes so when we commit a sin the, the enemy instantaneously comes to accuse us of our sins but when, the, when this accusation happens uh, and when they come to sue us sue us a court case is opened and this is a very important matter Satan sue, is coming to sue Israel and he's suing Israel with, with uh, the, the with, uh, uh, justice of God He's saying Israel has gone against the the law that God has set for Israel, and that's why you have to be sued. So for us as well, when we commit a sin, the enemy instantaneously comes to us and says, uh, look how wicked you are. How can you call yourself the child of God? And because the enemy sues us in this way, the, the heavenly assembly is open. But what does God say? He rebukes Satan. And why can, why can God rebuke Satan? It's because Israel has already, already been, uh, been a captive of Babylon after being clothed by the righteousness of God. And so Satan has no right to sue Israel anymore. In the New Testament, what is, how is it for us then? Let's say you commit a sin and the enemy comes to sue us. Then what happens? A court case, is a court case open? There's no court case in the first place for us. In First uh, John, it says the, the, the lawyer uh, that shed blood has come in our place to defend us. and through the message of uh, Hebrews chapter 10 God has sprinkled his blood uh, Jesus has sprinkled his bro- blood upon us so because we have the righteousness of God with us already when we commit a sin it is not recorded in, he- in heaven and we are each uh, every day that we live we live in the day of atonement and so every day is a festival to, for us.
1: Oh.
0: The, uh, yeah, the source of your pain, the source of your sorrow is your sin. but that sin itself is taken out of the equation. In Romans 1, Paul says that sin has been taken away from you. Since, so since the problem of sin is a result for us already, um, all of our pain and sorrow should also be taken away. So, uh, should you should you experience grief because you don't have money? No, we shouldn't. Matter of fact, nothing on this earth, no issue should become a grief for us. Because the because the source of the problem, the, uh, the, the punishment of sin itself has been taken away from us by Jesus. And since this problem is resolved, we, are, we, are, we have been saved, we have been liberated. And the reason why you're, you're still experiencing sorrow and grief is because you're unable to believe in this fact. Amen. So this is the basics of our faith, to believe in the fact that God has uh, resolved this issue of sin for us. Those who have encountered, with those who have encountered God shouldn't be uh, tormented by this problem anymore. And even if you stumble, even if you commit a sin, it doesn't matter because as soon as you repent, as soon as you wear the Lord's righteousness once again, then your sins are no longer recorded in heaven. And the reason why you're still uh, oppressed is because you don't believe in this fact. You're ignorant, you're spiritually ignorant, and you, you have lost the, uh, the excitement of, of your salvation. So now, even if we commit a sin, what happens? It's, and since our sins are no longer recorded, it is no longer recorded in heaven, but it, it, could, it could be recorded in your conscience. And the sins in your, uh, recorded in your conscience may become a problem for you. And that's why we need to repent so that the sins of our conscience will be washed away as well. Every day, Jesus tells us to wash our clothes in his blood. So whether you are aware of it or not, when you commit a sin, your conscience operates. And when your conscience operates, it records the sins within your spirit. is recorded in your conscience and the Holy Spirit will tell us of that and that's when the blood of Jesus starts to work and it leads us to repentance and we become clean and that's why we don't live by our conscience anymore that's why we're able to live by the Holy Spirit because uh, our our conscience is, is completely opened which allows the Holy Spirit to work. So this is an extraordinary truth. So even if we commit a sin, a court case is not open for that, for that uh, case.
1: But many of us
0: are still mistaken into thinking that when we commit a sin, a, this, this case is open. And then we struggle uh, with this guilt. Because we listen to the voice of the enemy rather than listening to the voice of the Holy Spirit that, that tells us to repent and be cleansed, and we uh, and every day we're tormented by by this guilt that comes from listening to the accusations of the enemy, and uh, that 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 ties us and and. Uh, enables us to pray before the Lord because we struggle with, uh, with this guilt. So no matter who it is, if they have their righteousness resolved, then and if they repent as soon as they commit a sin, then they don't think about that problem anymore. And many of you will be like this, Oh, I committed a sin again again the very fact that you use the word again means that you remember the sins that you have committed before and without you knowing your your sins are being uh, stacked up they're stacking up within you but through the righteousness of God and through his blood we are freed from the influence of sin completely let's say uh, you lied to somebody and you lied again a few days later and you say to God, Lord, I, I lied again, then that means you have not resolved the lie that you have spoken of a couple of days before. When I pray to God, I never use the word again. And I can't use that word. Because the sin that I commit today is the sin that I have committed for the first time in my life. Many of you will not understand what this means. when You, th- you guys will think like this. That pastor is ignorant. He can't even remember a sin that he has committed before. He can't even remember uh, things from a couple days ago. No, that's not the case. I am able to speak like this boldly because of the Lord's righteousness. Even God himself God himself uh, forgets about our sin, when we repent. But what right does the enemy have to, to, to come to us and act, accuse us of those, of those same sins? Too many saints, too many people of God are, are struggling with the, with the guilt of their sins. Every day they're just being tormented by these these thoughts, by by their conscience. And they're unable to utilize their their spiritual power because they're always constantly under these accusations. Believe in the blood of Jesus. Believe in the blood of Jesus. Is there a court court case for us? If I receive the power of the blood of Jesus correctly, And you realize the kind of spiritual influence that you gain from from having victory over your sins. In Ephesians one, it says that the church has the authority to forgive sins, and God has given that authority. Jesus has given that authority to us. But but because sin comes from the power, has the power of death, and there's power in the name of Jesus. And that's why, since God has given us His name, Jesus has given us His name, we can proclaim life into others. But if you cannot resolve a single sin that is present within you, then that doesn't make sense. You need to continue to maintain the righteousness of God within you constantly. There's no court case for you if there's a court case that is happening for you then you're living in the Old Testament you're living in a day and age where Jesus did not come on this earth so you have to be sure there's no court case for us because the, the best lawyer the best advocate is, is, is uh, appearing for us that's why uh uh, I, I I take the message of First John chapter one by heart. So let's thank the Lord for His glory and for the grace that He has given to us. Let's move on. Let's uh, verse two: The Lord rebuke you, Satan! The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this man a burning stick snatched from the fire? But uh, God has given his hope to Israel and it's because God has chosen Joshua. God has chosen Israel. And the word chosen used in Zechariah means that God is reinstating, God has restored the the nobility of of, of, uh, this this royal nobility that is given to his children, to Israel. So they are reinstated as the kings of earth. They were able to renew the righteousness of God. God once again acknowledges Israel as his son, as his king. So even though they were a burning stake, they were snatched from the fire. So God is doing something right now. And that, that something is written in uh, verse 3. Now Joshua was dressed in filthy clothes as he stood before the angel. This signifies that, uh, that Israel, Israel is filthy because of their sins and soon God is going to take off their, their filthy clothes for them. in Ephesians 4 it says the people in the New Testament uh, as soon as they have been clothed with the righteousness they're able to take off the clothes their old filthy clothes and be clothed with uh, with the Lord's righteousness. So the, the life of the saint is dependent on how much they are able to live while wearing these uh, re- wearing this clo- clothes of righteousness. But for Israel, that, that event of separation from their sins has not happened yet. So for many reasons, uh, <clears throat> for several reasons, God has not completely separated Israel from their sins. And for us, that's the same as uh, having our old self still present within us, even though we're trying to live by the new self. Right now, we are nominally righteous because it has been given to us by God. Because God can only give us... And this, the true righteousness will be given to us. Uh, can only be given to us through a trial, and so we cannot go into the, the kingdom of God while being uh, just nominally righteous. And every day, as the old self and the new self quarrels within us, we need to we need to uh, come to a point where we can confirm of this actual righteousness and that is what, uh, what we say uh, what we name right, uh, sanctification and glorification God does not want us to remain as just nominally righteous but he wants us to receive actual righteousness
1: in 1st John chapter 3
0: it says that the people of God, the sons, of the children of God, do not commit a sin. That's the kind of state that he wants us to become. Those are the people who are able to fulfill the will of God. And his will is for us to resolve the, the, the issue of sin. and the blood of Jesus has nullified the power of sin, which is the power of Satan. So if you have your sin resolved, then that means death has been resolved for you. And we become ones who are completely free of the influence of Satan. The world will be judged by the Lord, but those who have the righteousness of God will not be influenced by the judgment of the world because we are a completely different being from the world. We are a righteous, uh, royal being of God and because, uh, and since we have this uh, uh, issue of sin resolved for us, we are completely free of that, that, that sin and that judgment. So that's why we are separated, we have been set apart from the world. He has clothed us with the royal robes. He has put a ring on, a signet ring on our our fingers, and he has crowned us with his righteousness. Are you following along? We're gonna move forward now. But our old self is not completely detached from us yet. In Galatians 6, it says that our our old self and our new self are constantly under battle. But through the help of the Holy Spirit, we need to live as our new self and live as actual righteous beings rather than being just nominally righteous. Nominally righteous. We need to completely uh, trample upon the old self and nullify its power. That's the kind of glorious life that God wants us to live. Whenever the old self rises, we need to stamp it down and completely trample over it and throw it away. So we have been uh, clothed with this new clothing. Every day we need to take off the clothes of the old self. That's how we can wear the shining summer core. Verse four. Today we have a prayer meeting at three. On at three. Uh, many amazing things are going to happen through that prayer, because this conference is a conference where we have to correct the, the timetable of the remnants, because uh, the Korean Peninsula is, is uh, about to be controlled by the Antichrist. We are we are uh, about to be, 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 be um, knocked out by the by the Antichrist, and that's why this conference is so important. We need to take back the take back control of this of this nation. So we need to stay alert spiritually and that's why everybody needs to gather here at uh, 3 to pray together for this nation let's move on verse 4 the angel said to those who were standing before him so those who were standing before him uh, ha, uh, are the angels they, they're talking about the angels in this verse And specifically, he's talking about the archangels. In the Old Testament, to be before the throne of God is not something that is done by all the angels. They can only come before God when they're called upon, just as uh, people cannot enter into um, uh, the, 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 the room of the king on this earth. And those who were called before the presence of God were were uh, generally archangels, but there are angels which which are who are also uh, constantly present around God, and those are the seraphs. And the seraphs are are described as being red or, or uh, reddish in color, and it's not. And that is not their original color. But the reason why they are shining red is because they're reflecting the the, the radiance of God and the fire of God. And biblically speaking, the only person that saw these seraphs uh, was, was Isaiah. Many, peop, many prophets saw angels, but the only person that saw the seraphs with his own very eyes uh, was Isaiah. But in the end times, to the, for the remnants, God is going to pour the glory of his throne upon his remnants. And these remnants will be able to see the seraphs for themselves. But the angels written here are not the Sarahs, but the archangels. So, and God is saying to take off his filthy clothes, take off the filthy clothes of Israel. Likewise, we need to take off our filthy clothes before the Lord and be clothed with this righteousness once again. That is the simple nature that God God has given to us. It is the nature of Israel. And like, uh, also, the, the old self has a sinful nature which pulls on sin and tempts us to commit these sins, be, uh, make us be controlled by, 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 uh, by a desire for possession, desire for pleasure, desire for security and, and all the rest of the desires written in Habakkuk. But we need to be free of this. Uh, then he said to Joshua so what does it mean to take off his filthy clothes
1: It is to uh, be separated from from sin
0: and we can speak of sin in two ways Uh, The word for Atom is Hatak in Hebrew. Hatata. And and in the Old Testament, there's actually nothing you can do when you commit a sin. And uh, the day Oh, oh! So there's a different. So sins can be divided into two categories: intentional sins and sins that you committed without without uh, intention. And there's nothing that you can do when you with the sins that you you committed intentionally. In the Old Testament, for Israel, those people were actually exiled from the community. But the sins that were committed without intention, they can be resolved on the day of atonement through through sacrifice. So the sins of Awan, which which is a sin that is that is being accumulated within us. Uh, it's a sin that stacks up, that is accumulated. And so this prophecy, this vision is not being is not being spoken to the people of the Old Testament. Because that sin cannot be resolved in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament it says when your when your sins are forgiven. That means you are divorced from your sins. So on the day of atonement in Hebrews 12, eh, what what signifies Israel's depart, departure from the sin is when they exile, exile the the goat that or the sacrificial animal that has received its sin their sins. When they let that animal into the wilderness the the gold of Azazel. That goat will walk until it, it is gone outside of, uh, gone from their, their, mm, from the horizon. Then that means that, the Isra- that Israel's accumulated sin that they have committed for that past year will all be forgiven by God. But if that goat is to return, then that means uh, that their sins have returned to them. It is the same meaning here. Our sin has departed from us, it has been erased, it has been removed, and that is, that is possible through the, the, the event, righteous event that was done by, by Jesus. you need to have faith you need to receive this by faith today that your sins are forgiven that it is resolved as the child of God your happiness begins when you believe in this fact why are you still in grief when your sins are forgiven why are you hopeless when your sins have already been forgiven what is bringing this grief and sorrow for you Nothing should do that to us anymore. Because the biggest problem, the biggest issue has been resolved. 31 years ago, when I think about the day of salvation, it was a day of festival for me. Because I was so excited to, to receive, my, uh, receive my salvation from God. Nothing else became a to me from that day on. And what's next? See, I have taken away your sin, and I will put fine garments on you. Uh, These fine garments are also mentioned in Isaiah 32. These fine garments do not refer to the, the robes of the high priest. But these fine garments are garments that are worn by royalty. But Joshua was a high priest. Why was he robed with these royal, uh, why was he clothed with these royal robes? Is this uh, a, a typo of Zechariah? It's because this high priest, according to Hebrews 5.5, 5, is that uh, it's referring to, to Jesus, who is the royal priest. Jesus was, he's the royal son, which has the authority of heaven. And so he has the authority to rule over all creation. Simultaneously, he, he also has the task of the high priest who is able to come before the Lord. He is the high priest, which is called Melch- Melchizedek. In Hebrews, he's the fulfillment of the prophecy of Hebrews 11. So he's a being that has both the task of the the high, uh, the priest and um and the king. And that's why we have to give our life for Jesus because he he has both roles given to him. And that that position Will will not be given to anybody but Jesus And that's why Because we we belong in him Because we're under him That's why that same authority That same position is also given to us That's why we are uh, God calls us his priestly kings God created Adam as a priestly king And God has chosen Israel to be the priestly king of this earth. And through Israel and through Jesus, we have been chosen as his priestly kings as well. And that's why we have the authority to rule over all creation as as tetrarchs. And with the blood of Jesus, we can come before the Lord as his priest. When you're able to believe in this fact, uh, you'll be amazed. And since you don't look amazed, I guess you're not able to believe in this, in this uh, grace. So these fine garments refer to uh, royal beings. Then I, then I say put a clean turban on his head. So this turban is referring to the turban that the high priests wear. but the word used, word used here is jarif, which is not used for, for priests, but for, rather it refers to a crown that is worn by, the, by kings. And this is the fulfillment of the prophecy of, of Psalm 110, that Jesus will be crowned as a, a royal priest. In Chapter Six, we will, we will be talking about the coronation, and upon all of our heads, God has crown, has God has put a crown, and uh, on on our body, we're wearing an uh, ephod, and uh, over that, God has put clothed us with His royal robes, and on our heads, we can wear uh, the royal crown. Can you, do you believe in this? Every Sunday when, before I come out to preach, I wear uh, a suit, but when I'm clothing myself in these garments, I pray to the Lord, I'm wearing my, my underwear, I'm wearing my, my socks, I'm wearing my pants, I'm wearing my, my, my vest, I'm wearing my, my jacket. But lastly, when i wear wearing my jacket, I say, Lord, I'm going to put on my royal ro- robes before you. Because this is the fulfill- fulfillment of his prophecy. So let's all do this right now, that you are wearing his semaphore, that you are wearing his royal robes, that you will be crowned with, with his royal crown. Can you see these people wearing their royal robes? Are they wearing their crowns? Is it, is it shiny?
1: <clears throat>
0: if somebody is still unable to wear these robes, then please teach them how to do so afterwards. So, wear it by faith. move on. So let's move on to verse 6. The angel of the Lord gave this charge to Joshua. Because verse 7 to 10 holds a lot of important meanings. So the angel is, is, is giving a question, asking a question to the Lord. Well, not a question, but but um, they're, they're talking about the significance of this event. So verse 7, this is what the Lord Almighty says. If you will walk in obedience to me and keep my requirements, then you will govern my house and have charge of my courts. So this is not a, a, a usual statement that is given to Israel. The requirements written here are the requirements that were given to the high priests of Israel that they had to keep. In Deuteronomy 6, it also mentions these requirements. The high priest, the requirement of the high priest is to be completely obedient to, uh, to the word of God. should be fully obedient towards the, 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 the commandments that God has given to them. But historically speaking, none of the high priests of Israel have ever been fully obedient to God. And as a result, as a result, it is why Jesus had to come upon this earth as the ultimate high priest to, to never commit a sin and to be fully uh, obedient to the word of God. Jesus was obedient, uh, all in, uh, was obedient until he, was, he had to, to bear the cross. So this prophecy is not written towards Joshua, but rather it's written towards Jesus. So let's look at what authority God has given to Joshua.
1: He says,
0: you will govern my house. In Zechariah, when it says my house, God is talking about his temple, but it doesn't make sense that God makes Joshua rule his temple. But this signifies the Lord's people. So my house should be interpreted as the Lord's people, the people of Israel. So Joshua will be ruled over his, this, the people of God. But this, this prophecy is, of course, written to Joshua. and so uh, Not Joshua, but Jesus. So Jesus has the right to rule over all his people. But rather than ruling, the right interpretation of this verse would be uh, He judges over His people. And that means God continues to pour His righteous, righteousness upon His people. And through that righteousness, we're able to encounter the Lord, we are able to meet with Him. In Hebrews 7:15, it says that Jesus becomes an advocate for us. And that's why our prayers cannot be snatched away by the enemy. Because there are two uh, advocates that are working for us. Who are the two advocates? That is Jesus and the Holy Spirit. And these two advocates are leading us to the throne of God. And so who in the world, who in this world can come and snatch us away from from these two advocates? So that's why we need to pray according to the will of the Holy Spirit. And through His guarantee, we can become uh, interceders of the New Testament. And we are guaranteed as as, uh, this new covenant, covenant being by the Holy Spirit. And likewise, Jesus also guarantees us uh, before the Lord. Joseph was able to give the people, give his people, the land of Goshen, because he represented uh, his, his people, the people of Israel, before the Pharaoh. That is what Jesus is doing for us. He's saying, "I shed my blood for this, for for these brothers and sisters." And that's why we can come before the Lord, because Jesus leads us, to God. We are His, uh, His, His siblings. So let's uh, proclaim once again and thank Jesus. Jesus, thank you. You will, he will, you will govern my house and have charge of my courts. The courts talk about the outer, outer area of the temple. So this is, of course, not talking about Joshua, because Jesus is the only one that can rule over Israel and also rule over the G- G- Gentiles. And I will go- give you a place among these standing these standing uh, standing
1: here
0: so um jesus allows us to to, to speak to the angels because He opened up the heavenly sanctuary through His blood. And He has, he, he has gone into this sanctuary. And we, because we have been clothed with His righteousness, we are also invited into this heavenly sanctuary. And when Jesus has died for us on the, on the cross, the, the veil that covered the Holy of Holies was also torn. So, the, any anyone who's willing to receive the work of his blood, the work of Jesus will be invited into this Holy of Holies. So it is foolish of you if you're if you're not willing to go into uh, the Holy of Holies now. We must all live by uh, looking at the glory of God. Think about it. Even angels are unable to look at the glory that shines on the face of God. And that is still a uh, uh, Still, the fact now, but those who have seen angels will realize that there, that the shine, the, the light that shines from them is is so bright that uh, that when we look at them with our human eyes, our eyes will go blind. But Hebrews six four says. It tells us, the people of God, to look at the glory that shines from the face of God. We are beings that have the privilege to look at, the, to look at that glory. That authority has never been given to any angels. So since we're such extraordinary beings, why are we still chasing the glory of the, of the world? We need to retake and restore this glory, uh, restore this nobility that God has given to us. We are not uh, in pain because we don't, because the world is not allowing something to be given to us. We are in grief because we have lost the, uh, the glory that God has given to us. So you have to be amazed, you need to be excited. Realize how extraordinary you are. Let's move on. So Jesus has opened up the doors of heaven to us. Let's move on to verse 8 and 9. Listen, high priest Joshua, you and your associates seated before you, who are men symbolic of things to come. He didn't say, listen, Israel who is seated before me. He said, associates of Joshua. So that means they're in the same, they're living in the same kind of flow. He's not talking about all of Israel. Who are his associates then? They are, the, the, they are men who are symbolic of the things to come. And he says, I'm going to bring my servant, the branch. The branch signifies the Messiah. So these men, these associates, are symbolic of of the coming of Messiah. They are the holy ones. They are the priestly kings. So in that sense, It means that Jesus, what kind of, with what kind of flow is he gonna come with? He's not gonna come to receive the the whole of Israel. But he will come from the flow of the priestly kings. And the goal of his coming was not to bring his glory upon everybody. And uh, strictly saying, saying that it, uh, strictly saying is saying that not any, not everybody can come to receive that glory, but only those who have been chosen by, chosen by God. And this is not talking about salvation. And going, entering heaven is not written uh, in the Bible in the first place. It is that the kingdom of God will come upon us this is the great deception that the, the, the great prostitute has spread across the Christian world. I keep talking about religion. I talk about spirituality and belief. But the reason why I talk about these things is because so many things has, have been polluted by the enemy. After the influence of Constantine, the whole... Um, this whole belief system has been corrupted. Mm. The, the Bible doesn't talk about the, the the conflict between human nature and and um, what's it called? the nature of the deities. And the, the details of these things will all be uh, um we'll all be fixed by, by our, our scholars. But we need to regain the essence of the gospel of God. And we need to throw away all the wrong beliefs that were, were taught to us. Let's move on. Jesus will come after God has set up his, his priestly kings upon his land Hebrews 6 talks about this clearly I will come and bless and bless and bless you that is the fulfillment of the promise and restoration of Genesis 1 1 it is the restoration of the royal beings of God Amen move on. Verse 9. We're almost at the end here. See the stone I have set in front of Joshua. The stone is, of course, talking about Jesus. Uh, The Bible talks about um, a stone a lot. The rough stone, the, the smooth stone, the... the cornerstone and so we have to be close we need to be familiar with these stones there are many stones outside here get familiar with them but of course we, uh, we know that these, these are symbolic of Jesus and they are there are seven eyes on that one stone today uh, uh, we will talk about this in, in chapter 4 it talks about the sovereignty. This is talking about the sovereignty of Jesus. And the seven eyes signify the Holy Spirit. In Isaiah 7, it says that the Holy Spirit and the Messiah will never be separated. This is a very important thing that I, I mention constantly. So for this church, Uh, the authority of God, the Holy Spirit, the Word, the truth, everything, everything is connected together. It cannot be separated. There is no separation in the kingdom of God. Everything is unified. When you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're filled with the Word of God. When you're filled with the Word of God, you're filled with Jesus. When you're filled with Jesus, you're filled with the Holy Spirit. And when you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're filled with the kingdom of God. There's no separation here. The Word of God, the Holy Spirit, um, and Jesus, the Holy Spirit, they are all connected. Your your life will change. Your personality will change. You will be delivered from Satan. You will have power to deliver. You will start to love. You will have fellowship. You will have praise. Because everything is present in the kingdom of God. It's not is not given to you through your efforts but it's given to us by God let's move on so there are seven eyes on I will engrave an ins- inscription on it so what does it mean to inscribe So, to engrave means to tear in this context. So, this is uh, symbolic of the the tearing of the veil when Jesus was crucified. So, look how how detailed this prophecy is that is prophesied 2,500 years before the event of the crucifixion. This is talking about the opening of the Holy of Holies. And in one instance, the sin of the world was, was forgiven. And it was all removed. How is this pop- possible? As soon as she received the blood of Jesus... The, the sins that you committed in the past, and the sins that you're committing now, and the sins that you will commit in the future are all erased, because the record of your sin is completely erased in heaven. What does it mean that sin is, is re, sin is removed? And that means you don't have to be be, be uh, you don't have to be separated from God anymore. And especially that the enemy has no right to come and torment you anymore. You need to live with this kind of faith. It's because you don't believe in this fact that you keep opening up these channels for the enemy to come and attack you. You allow the enemy to come and attack you. How can you let the the enemy do this When when the nobility of God is given to you, when you have the Lord's righteousness? We cannot live like beggars anymore. Because our life, our whole being is under the dominion of God. And we have nothing more uh, we don't need anything more than God and we are all equal in his kingdom verse 10 in that day each of you will invite your neighbor to sit under your vine and fig tree declares the Lord Almighty this is talking about the abundance of during the reign of Solomon for Israel In Micah 4, it talks about the same prophecy. That when the kingdom of God is restored, with it will come abundance. Why is Zachariah emphasizing uh, abundance in this eschatological prophecy? Is it because the people will go hungry? No, No, it's because abundance is the way of life in the kingdom of God. No matter how rich you are in this earth, you're limited by the resources that is present on this earth. Limitation of power, limitation of materials. So poverty comes very naturally in, in this world of limitations. So when you, when you live without the Lord, no matter how rich you, can, you may be, you will still live with, with uh, a sense of loss. You will still live with some, with some sort of shortage. That's why even the, the billionaires, the rich people of the world, even though they have so much within their possession, they are not happy. And that's why the world cannot use the word abundance. But that's not the case with the kingdom of God. There's no limitation in the resources. There's no limitation with power. There's no limitation when it comes to wisdom. And what is important in the way of life in the kingdom of God, what is important is is not what you possess, what you can take, what you can create, what you can achieve. That is not important. But who is ruling over you? That is everything. Uh, that, is, that is the most important priority in our life, to realize that God has sovereignty over us. And that is the church. God blesses us with this, uh, with this infinity. And His kingdom does not know of limitations. So when when we enter the millionaire kingdom ultimately, we'll realize what this kind of way of life is. But even while living on this earth, even if it is not 100%, we'll still experience what that means. That is the the reason why God is giving his glory to the church. When his glory comes, then we will experience the the freedom of glory, and we will experience the abundance of glory. It is written in the, in the book of Colossians. So receive this glory today. Glory of freedom. And freedom glory. The abundance of glory. The power of glory will all be given to us. Will be all be restored to us. So let's pray. Lord Father God, it is so. Through the, through the work of Jesus, that glory has been given to your kingdom, has been given to your church. So let us experience the glory of uh, the power, the authority, the freedom of glory. Let's pray.